Leviticus 19 <laughs> verse 9. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbour, nor rob him. The wages of a hired worker are not to remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse a person who is deaf, nor put a stumbling block before a person who is blind. But you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in judgment. You shall not show partiality to the poor, nor give preference to the great. But you are to judge your neighbour fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to jeopardise the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may certainly rebuke your neighbour, but you are not to incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Thank you. So the main reason for having that is the reading today, not so much going to be speaking on it, but as we're um, doing our series on, you know, love and loving your neighbour, um, as Louise pointed out last week, that's, this is actually a, a command. It's not something that Jesus just brought up out of nowhere. This was an Old Testament command that, that they were familiar with. And it was a, an expectation. It wasn't just a suggestion. Um, so Jesus, on his Sermon on the Mount, he, he, take, he quotes the law and the, the text that they're familiar with, but then he cuts to the heart of the issue, not, not the technicality of the wording that they knew. And he, he makes people aware that the law is kind of an imperfect way of of communicating God's desire for how they should live. And trying to condense that into a few sentences in the law isn't really doing it justice. So in the Sermon of the Mount, he repeats this pattern quite a few times. He starts with, you have heard, and then he says, but I say this. And he goes on to sort of quote from the Old Testament, but then expands and actually makes it a lot harder. So we see that in a few examples of things, like he says, you've heard, you shall not murder. And then he goes on to say, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Yeah, he's, he's taken that a lot further than what it said right there. You have heard you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. So it was a teaching about you know, restraint and retaliation or revenge, you know, telling people to have a proportionate response. But Jesus takes that further and says... I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. If they take your shirt, give them your cloak too. And then, as Louise looked at last week, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
So there's this the pattern where Jesus is talking about something they already know about, and he pushes it further. He's highlighting the spirit of the law rather than the, you know technically ticking the box. You know, God's desire isn't simply that his people just wouldn't kill each other. His desire, but you know that's the bare minimum. His desire is that we'd actually love each other. And in preparation for this sermon, I came across a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, and it was written back in 1857. And I was quite surprised how relevant it is for us today. And I listened to a few other sermons as well that were talking about, you know, how do we love our neighbour in the modern times, or you know, with online and Facebook and all this stuff. But I, I actually found this one, for me at least, was was the most useful and the most relevant. Um, so I'm going to read quite a lot from that sermon today. Um, in part because I think he's done an awesome job and I can't do any better. Um, but also, he says a lot of hard-hitting stuff that I'm a bit too chicken to, to claim for myself. I feel like I can read and blame it on him, you know. Okay. So, yeah. If you take any issues, it's this guy, not me. You know? Yeah. Just the messenger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. As I was reading it, I was like, oof, you know, you can't say that. Like, like you're right, but you, you I don't want to hear it. So I thought I'd share. <laughs> So excuse a little bit of old English. We'll see how we go. He says, Oh, I would to God that this great law were fully carried out. Ah, my hearers, you do not love your neighbours. You know you do not. You do not hardly love all the people who go to the same chapel. Certainly you would not think of loving those who differ from you in opinion, would you? That would be too strange a charity. Why, you hardly love your own brothers and sisters. Some of you today are at daggers drawing with them that hung on the same breast. Oh, how can I expect you to love your enemies if you do not love your friends? Some of you have come here angered with your parents, and here is a brother who is angry with his sister for a word she said before he left home. Oh, if you cannot love your brothers and sisters, you are worse than heathen men and publicans. How can I expect you to obey, uh, to obey this high and mighty command, love your neighbours? But whether you obey it or not, it is mine to preach it, and not shift it to a gainsaying generation's taste. First, we are bound to love and honour all men, simply because they are men. And we are to love next all those who dwell near us, not for their goodness or service towards us, but simply because the law demands it, and they are our neighbours. Love your neighbour as yourself. So as I said, he's writing this in 1857, and one thing that I love about his sermons is he doesn't tiptoe around the issues and around these hard teachings. He doesn't water it down to become more palatable. You know, as, he, as he mentioned there, whether you obey it or not, it's my job to preach it, not to shift the message to something that the generation will like a bit better. And later in the sermon, he, he points out that he, he himself doesn't live up to this, but that doesn't change how he should preach. He's, it's still his job to preach it, even though he's not doing a good job of it himself. He brings it back to the gospel message that we are loved by God and saved by grace, even when we fall short. Yeah, but that's a separate statement. It doesn't mean don't worry about loving your neighbour. We're still called to do that. The command and expectation is still love your neighbour and your enemies. So he goes on to say, We are bound to love even sinners and not to drive them from the land of hope, but seek to reclaim even these. Is a man a rogue, a thief or a liar? I cannot love his roguery or I shall be a rogue myself. I cannot love his lying, or I should be untrue. But I am bound to love him still. And even though I am wronged by him, yet I must not harbour one vindictive feeling. 
But as I would desire God to forgive me, so I must forgive him. And if he so sins against the law of the land that he is to be punished, and rightly so, I am to love him in the punishment. For I am not to condemn him to imprisonment vindictively, but to do it for his good, that he may be led to repent through the punishment. I am to give him such a measure of punishment as shall be adequate, not as an atonement for his crime, but to teach him the evil of it, and induce him to forsake it. But let me condemn him with a tear in my eye, because I love him still. And let me, when he is thrust into prison, take care that all his keepers attend to him with kindness. And although there be a necessity for sternness and severity in prison dis discipline, let it not go too far, lest it merge into cruelty and become wanton instead of useful. I am bound to love him, though he be sunken in vice and degraded. The law knows of no exception. It claims my love for him. I must love him. I didn't really like reading that. <laughs> I found this quite topical for our times, you know, all this election talk about crime and punishment and, and all this stuff. I'm, I'm glad that's died down a little bit, you know, all those debates going on. But this is a bit of a reminder and a challenge that, you know, despite our opinions on prison sentences and the justice system, our command as individuals is to love our neighbour, no exceptions. So this includes you know, unconvicted criminals, think people that we think should be in prison, and it also, you know, people that are getting away with things that we think they shouldn't, and it includes people that have been convicted and sent to prison. You know, politics and policy, is an, it's an important issue, an important thing to talk about. But it's interesting that Jesus' teaches, teachings are aimed at the individual. You know, he says that Christians should look after the poor, you know, not leave that to the government. He doesn't command us specific instructions about sentencing and you know prison sentence duration and you know how much freedom to give prisoners that sort of thing. That's that's still important stuff to figure out. But for us as Christians, our number one thing is to love them. Most criminals probably aren't even really our enemies, you know. But even if you do consider them enemies, we should still be praying for them, praying for their repentance and reconciliation with God, just as Jesus did on the cross, praying for those who were killing him. And again, you know, this is much easier said than done. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't do a good job of this myself. And if I'm honest, I don't want to do a good job of this myself. Um, you know, I'd much rather say, you know, leave these people, don't, don't waste, give them the bare minimum, don't waste your time and resources, give that to, you know, kids who are struggling or people who genuinely need a hand. There's much more things in my mind that would be high priority, but... Again, as Spurgeon, Spurgeon does, it's, it's his job to preach it even if he's not doing a good job and knows other people aren't doing a good job. You know, clearly, I've got some work to do in that area if I'm going to try to live out what Jesus teaches us to do. So unfortunately, this is one of those areas where it's a little bit of a, you know, I'd love to say, this is what we should do and I'm doing it. It's kind of a do as I say, not as I do in, in this area, unfortunately. But you're not meant to compare yourselves with me or with, with what others are doing, are you? We're meant to compare with what Jesus calls us to do. And in Spurgeon's sermon, he continues by saying, But now, what am I to do to my neighbour? Love him. That is a hard word. Well, says one, I never speak an unkind word of any of my neighbours. I do not know that I've ever hurt a person's reputation in my life. I am very careful to do my neighbour no damage. When I start in business, I do not let my spirit of competition overthrow my spirit of charity. I try not to hurt anybody. My dear friend, that is right as far as it goes. 
but it does not go the whole way. It is not enough for you to say you do not hate your neighbour, you are to love him. When you see him in the street, it is not sufficient that you keep out of his way and do not knock him down. It is not sufficient that you do not harass him by night nor disturb his quiet. It is not a negative, it is a positive command. It is not the not doing, it is the doing. Thou must not injure him, it is true, but you have not done all when you have not done that. You ought to love him. Well, says one, when my neighbours are sick, if they be poor, I take a piece to them for dinner. And if they have little food and be refreshed, that they may have little food and be refreshed. And if they be exceedingly poor, I lay out my money and see that they are taken care of. Yes, but you may do this and still not love them. I've seen charity thrown to a poor man as a bone is thrown to a dog, and there was no love in it. I've seen money given to those who needed it with not one half the politeness of which hay is given to a horse. Oh, oof. <laughs> he really lets you have it, doesn't he? <laughs> it is, there's a few gems in there that, I, that really stuck out for me. It is not the not doing, it is the doing. You know, not hating someone isn't the same as loving someone. You know, staying out of someone's way isn't enough. And that, you know, that idea that charity towards someone, like throwing a dog a bone, that's, that's quite different to loving someone, isn't it? My dog likes the bones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the issue with the law that Jesus expanded on. You know, those who treated charities as a tick box, you know, they, they would give to the, to the poor at best out of obligation, or at worst, you know, to make themselves look good. Loving the poor will require charity. You know, it will re- require a sacrifice of time or money or goods. But you can actually do that, and you can, you can be charitable in a way that has no love for the person that you are giving to. He continues. It would be a good thing if some ladies loved their neighbours as much as they loved their lap dogs. It would be a fine thing for many a country squire if he loved his neighbours as much as he loved his pack of hounds. I think it might be a high pitch of virtue if some of you were to love your neighbours as much as you love some favourite animal in your house. Mm. What an inferior grade of virtue, however, this appears to be. And yet it is something far superior to what some of you have attained to. You do not love your neighbour as you love your house, your estate, or your purse. It's like, oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm like, you can't say that. <laughs> but... But it's true, like, it, it, it hits, right? Like You're like, well, yes, yes, unfortunately that is true. So he, he's setting a lower bar than what Jesus has set. You know? Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. This guy's saying, well, even if you lived out, love your neighbour as your dog, you're not even doing that. You know? I don't have dogs or like them, so hopefully I'm doing a better job. And, you know, hopefully I treat people better than I treat dogs. But it's a, a bit of a, a concerning point to ponder on. You know, sadly, loving your neighbour like your pet might be an improvement to how we're currently loving our neighbour. Love your neighbour as, as yourself is a very, very high bar. And I do wonder a little bit if you know, self-hatred and things like that might be a bit more common these days than in, in Spurgeon's time. But even, even so, even if you might say that you hate yourself or you don't love yourself, we always see to our needs. You know, our own comfort is on the top of our minds. You know, we look to have a comfortable place to sleep, um, look to have a you know warm clothes, always thinking about the next meal. You know we don't need to be told to love ourselves at least in a practical sense. Sometimes we might need to work on being kinder to ourselves, but that's a whole different thing. You know? 
even when we don't like ourselves, our selfishness is pretty good at keeping us comfortable and looked after. And sometimes we might love ourselves too much and focus too much on ourselves. And I wonder if maybe that's okay if that also equally raises the bar for how much you now have to love your neighbour. So, yeah. He goes on to continue. Now some here may say, Sir, I cannot love my neighbour. You may love yours perhaps, but they may be better than mine. <laughs> mine is such an odd set of neighbours, and I try to love them, and for all I do, they do but return insult. So much more the room for heroism. Would you be some featherbed warrior instead of bearing the rough fight of love? Sir, he who dares the most shall win the most. And if rough be your path of love, tread it boldly. And still on, loving your neighbours through thick and thin. Heap coals of fire on their heads. And if they be hard to please, please not to, seek not to please them, but to please your master. And remember, if they spurn your love, your master has not spurned it. And your deed is as acceptable to him as if it had been acceptable to them. Now, one of the you know, great practical results of loving, loving people and being kind towards people is that usually over time it softens them. You know, if, if we extend love towards people who are a bit sort of prickly or hostile, usually over time they would soften up. You know, the world would actually would really be a, a different place if people took this command more seriously. There would be a, a visible flow-on effect from doing this. And, and that's an awesome thing, but there's also a little bit of a caution there as well, I think. You know? Sometimes our motive for loving people and being kind is because we want people to like us. You know, some people are like just genuinely, genuinely more friendly than others. You know, I'm not one of them, but some people that just go, uh -huh. yes, your mum's a good example. Yeah, some people just always seem to think outside of themselves and yeah, have this ability to always be thinking of others. Ooh, and Abby. Yes, I, Abby comes to mind as well. And, and that's an awesome thing. But some, sometimes one of, one of the struggles with people like that is that you can, you can struggle to set safe boundaries and become quite demoralised when someone doesn't respond to the kindness you've extended. Here we're reminded that you know, if our acts of love are rejected by someone and responded to with hate, that's actually okay. You know, I'm loving my neighbour for God's sake. If my neighbour rejects it, God still appreciates me being faithful to his commands. My efforts are as acceptable to God as, if they, sh as they should have been to my hard-hearted neighbour. Yeah, I, th I think that's one of the things that it's a bit tricky to, to speak on in a general sense is we're all very different, you know. Some people need to hear that, you know, to, to think less about what other think, people think of them, whereas others would probably do better thinking a bit yeah. more about what others think of them, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a good way to, to check, check ourselves and our motives that actually we are, we are doing this because it's a command and we're doing it for God. It doesn't matter the response of the other person if you, if you step out faithfully and, and love them. Dear friends, Remember that man's good requires that you should be kind to your fellow creatures. The best way for you to make the world better is to be kind yourself. Are you a preacher? Preach in a surely way and in a surely tone to your church, and a pretty church you will make of it before long. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Teach your children with a frown on your face and a fine lot they will learn. Are you a master? Do you hold family prayer? Get in a passion with your servants and say, let us pray. And a vast amount of devotion will you develop in such a manner as that. Are you a warder of a jail and have prisoners under you? 
abuse them and ill-treat them, and then try to send the chaplain to them. What lack of preparation for the reception of the word of God. If you have poor around you, you wish to see them elevated, but you're always grumbling about the poverty of their dwellings and the meanness of their tastes. Go and make a great speech at them all, and a fine lot that would do to improve them. Now just wash your face of that frown and buy a little essence of summer somewhere and put it on your face. Have a smile on your lip and say, I love you. I'm not perfect, but I love you. And as far as I can, I will prove my love to you. What can I do for you? Can I help you? Can I give you any assistance or speak a kind word to you? Deal gently, deal kindly, and deal lovingly. And there is not a wolf in human shape that will be mounted by your kindness. I say again, for the world's good, love your neighbours. Oh, would to God that I could always practice it myself, and would that I could impress it onto every one of your hearts. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. Oh, it would turn the world upside down indeed if this were practised. A fine lever this would be for upsetting many things that have become the custom of the land. It really would make a difference, eh? Um, I love here that he, you know, I would to God that I could always practice it myself, admitting that he too falls short of this sometimes. I often think how different things would be if everyone on earth really lived the way God intended them to do. And the thing that, that often makes me think about this is every time I get a bill from a lawyer or an insurance company, it's, that's just one of the unfortunate things of life. You've got to do these things sometimes. But we spend so much money and we have entire industries that probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for human sinfulness, you know, at least not to the same extent. You know, we're, we're so worried, you know, we spend on insurance and lawyer fees because we're worried about someone you know, stealing from us or making a dodgy deal in business or you know, backing out of something that they promised to do. You know, even our government would look quite different, wouldn't it? You know, we, we have whole commissions looking into whether the supermarkets and banks are ripping us off. You know, all, the, all, the stop, all the efforts put in to stop employers from exploiting workers, there'll be a lot less lawyers and policy writers, a lot smaller government. We'd be spending a lot less money on these things if people really did live up to their calling as God's image bearers and really did love their neighbours. Mm. It would be a nice world, I think. And now I conclude with just a weighty suggestion or two. My text suggests, first, the guilt of us all. My friends, if this be God's law, who here can plead that he is not guilty? If God's law demands that I should love my neighbour, I must stand in my pulpit and confess my guilt. In thinking of this text yesterday, my eyes ran with tears at the recollection of many a hard thing I had spoken in unwary moments. I thought of many an opportunity of loving my neighbour that I had slighted and laboured to confess the sin. I am certain there is not one of all this immense audience who would not do the same if he felt this law applied by the spirit and power to his soul. Oh, are we not all guilty? Kindest of spirits, most benevolent of souls, are you not guilty? Will you not confess it? And then that suggests this remark. If no man can be saved by his works, unless he keeps this law perfectly, who can be saved by his works? Have any of you loved your neighbour with all your, all your life with all your heart? Then you shall be saved by your own deeds, if you have not broken any other command. But if you have not done it, and cannot do it, 
Then hear the sentence of the law. You have sinned, and you shall perish for your sin. Hope not to be saved by the mandate of the law. And oh, how this endears the gospel to me. If I have broken this law, and I have, and if I cannot enter heaven with this law broken, then precious is the Saviour who can wash me from all my sins in his blood. Precious is he that can forgive my want of charity and pardon my lack of kindness. He can forgive my roughness and my rudeness. He can put away all my harsh speaking, my bigotry and unkindness, and can, through his all-atoning sacrifice, give me a seat in heaven, notwithstanding all my sins. You are sinners this morning. You must feel it. My sermon, if blessed of God, must convince you all of guilt. Well then, as sinners, let me preach to you the gospel. Whosoever believeth in the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Though he hath broken this law, God shall forgive him, and put a new heart and a right spirit into him, whereby he shall be enabled to keep the law in the future, at least to an eminent degree, and shall by and by attain to a crown of life and glory everlasting. You know, I love this like, roller coaster that he's taking us on. You know, those hard teachings, they do feel like a slap in the face when, you, when you're hearing them. You're like, it, it's not a comfortable thing to hear. It's not comfortable to sit and meditate on, on how well we're loving our neighbours. You, you think about that for too long and you see the bar and it's, you know you're not getting there. I don't, maybe some of you think you are getting there. I don't think I'm getting anywhere near it. You know, when we look to the law, it reveals our sin and it shows us how far we are from that bar that's been set. It's not a great feeling. So if you feel like you're failing at this, at loving your neighbour, if you're feeling discouraged, that's a good thing. That's a, a good realisation to come to. It's, it's actually a good, it's an essential realisation to come to, to know that we're not good enough. But thankfully we don't need to stay in that space long. You know, when we admit we're not good enough and focus on what Jesus says and what he has done, you know, we, we are lifted up to know that we are loved so much by God even though we don't deserve it. You know, this process of feeling uncomfortable and convicted turns us to the good news of what Jesus has done. If we water down these teachings or we ignore them, then we're kind of lowering that bar. We, we don't get to see the beauty of what Jesus has done. That's why it's so important not to shy away from these hard teachings. And if you're stuck in that place of feeling discouraged, that can happen, you know, feeling like you're not good enough, and as I said, that's, a, that's an essential realisation to come to, but it's only half the story. If you're stuck in that place, it means you're only believing half of the truth. The other half is that God loves you so much, and, and not like a generic God loves all humans kind of thing. He loves you individually, you personally. He loves you so much as an individual, and he died for you because in his eyes you are worth the price that he paid. And so those, those two realisations are quite contrasting aren't they but they're both equally true they, they almost they feel a bit incompatible you know that one you're not living up to god's standard and you can't enter heaven because of your sin and secondly god loves you so much jesus has paid the price so now you can enter heaven it, it feels like two you know opposite things but if you've only got one and not the other you, you can't you need both of those together to get the full picture of the gospel A good understanding of both of those two truths is really good for us as Christians. You know, it should stop us getting you know, too proud and big-headed. You know, we can't boast in our own greatness, only in what God has done. 
you know, in a sense, it should put an upper limit on our pride and arrogance that we, we can't be boasting on how great we are when we compare it to the law and realize, well, actually, not that great. But it should also put a lower limit on any, you know, self-hatred or lack of confidence in, in how we feel about ourselves. You know, the, the fact that the creator of the universe loves you personally, is, it's a pretty big deal. You know, if you say that you're not worth saving, you're calling God a liar because he did think you were worth saving. You, know, you can disagree with that, that's your opinion, but it's not actually the truth. The truth is that God loves you and says you are worth it. So good understanding of our sinfulness and God's love for us should keep us from thinking too highly or too little of ourselves. So yeah, these hard teachings from Jesus have an important place, and it's a good thing to be reminded that we don't live up to what's required of us. When we see how high that bar is and how hopeless our situation is, that's what makes the gospel sound so good. And I'll just end by repeating this last bit from Spurgeon's sermon that I love so much. It says, If I have broken this law, and I have, and if I cannot enter heaven with this law broken, then precious is the Saviour who can wash me from all my sin in his blood. Precious is he that can forgive my want of charity and pardon my lack of kindness. He can forgive my roughness and my rudeness, can put away all my harsh speaking, my bigotry and unkindness, and can, through his all-atoning sacrifice, give me a seat in heaven.